Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, as Tom said, my name is Ed, and um, I actually am a native Rhode Islander. I grew up right over there in Johnston, and um, man, just love our state and love the church. And um, I'm so especially glad to be here with you this morning because this is my favorite passage of Scripture here in John 17. Um, literally, the way that the Lord has gripped my heart with, with these words has shaped um, not only my life, um, but the burden to see his church truly be one and live that way has really shaped uh, my ministry, my prayer life, um, and my work here. And so it's great to be here with, with you this morning. So I, I do, just to give you a little context, uh, I minister at a small church in Middletown, Rhode Island. Uh, so it's about an hour away from here. And uh, I've been ministering there since 2018. Uh, we got a small church over there, and alongside the church, been involved in um, multi-church ministry really since uh, 2010, 2011 or so, since right around there working with various churches, just for collaborative events, for corporate prayer events in the, in the community. Um, I always love to see churches that share a community, like in the same town or same kind of geographic area, come together to worship the Lord and acknowledge one another as really one church, one people. And so that's kind of my burden. That's, and that's really what I'm doing here, serving as the director of uh, Together. So Together uh, is a partnership of churches uh, around the state of Rhode Island. And so there's, there's, it's a partnership of between 70, 75 churches around the state that are involved. And what we do is we, it's a call uh, together, a call to unity for prayer, to minister and support uh, fellow ministers and churches. And really, the, the goal and the desire is that through the fellowship of the ministers around the state, through that relationship and that trust that is being developed, collaborative efforts are able to come out of that. And we see exponential growth in the body of Christ. And we believe that the gospel is shared that much more effectively when we come together, acknowledging one another, and do this together. It's a common call. It's a common mission that every follower of Christ is called into. We're all invited into this. And so some of the things that we do or have done is um, we uh, call the ministers together for united prayer periodically. We try to foster or spark these prayer groups in different uh, communities around the state. And then quarterly, we have these big prayer breakfasts where we just call the whole region together. We just had one a few weeks ago. Uh, Tom and I were there uh, in Providence. And uh, we have more of a time of corporate prayer and then some intimate prayer uh, together as well in small groups. And, uh, and they're just such uh, refreshing times. One of the big things that we do, maybe the main thing even, and this is where I met uh, Tom last November, is something called a prayer summit. It is a period, it's a three-day period that we usually do in November, and we call ministers from all over the region together for, for these three days. We go to a conference center up in Massachusetts, um, and it is just dedicated just to prayer, and it is such a refreshing time where bonds are built so strongly that we come out of there refreshed and uh, with new perspective, and it just empowers the work of the ministry that much more. So uh, just definitely passionate to see the body of Christ strengthened. And I'd like to begin with just a prayer with you this morning, if we could. So Lord, I thank you so much 
for your goodness. I thank you for your word, which gives us the guidance that we need. We thank you for the strength that you equip us with through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the call to be one with not just you, but even to be one with one another. Would you give us the strength, Lord? We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, something special really happens when we begin to put peripheral issues, side issues, really to the side where they belong and come together for the name of Jesus Christ. You know, a number of years ago, uh, we started a multi-church um, initiative. Excuse me. A multi-church initiative with youth groups. This is on Aquidneck Island, so it involves those three towns, Portsmouth, Middletown, and Newport. And here's what we found. We had on this island, uh, there were a number of churches, 50 plus churches on Aquidneck Island, an island of 60,000 people. 52 churches, one Walmart, three stop and shops, three high schools, but 52 churches. And so we looked at this and we said, okay, something's kind of backwards here because everybody comes together to go to the market. With Walmart, the, the, the uh, alias for Walmart was Newport Community Center because you can't go to the store without running into friends and people that you know. So we come together to go shopping, come together to go to school, the teenagers, the elementary kids, and then Sunday rolls around, it's time to worship the Lord, and we divide off and all go to our 50-plus churches. We said, something's wrong here. And so all these churches, they had somewhat of a youth group happening, you know, a few kids here, three here, ten here, and they're smaller groups. And when they go to school, they feel very alone, very isolated, because they feel like they're the only one. You're the only Christian, you know, you're the, you're the odd man out. And from the bigger perspective, when you lift up and you see this, you're like, no, there are a, there's a huge number of you, but you just don't even know it because you don't worship together. You don't recognize the fact that you're Christian. So we put out this call and we said, hey, we're going to have a multi-church youth event. And we, we made this a monthly thing. And it was so special what we started to see because as we called these churches together and each church brought their five kids they're three kids, they're 10 kids. They're walking into the room, and we literally saw this at one, you'll remember this, Sulai. Um, this is my wife, Sulai, by the way. Sulai and my boys, Elijah and Brendan. <laughs> um, they're walking into the room, and we see one girl walk into the room, another boy walk into the room. They look at each other and say, hey, what are you doing here? You're in my science class. And he's like, what, what are you doing here? He's like, you're a Christian? And instantly, these connections start to be made and they feel more empowered because they start to realize right out of the gate, they're not alone. They're not alone. And not only was relationships sparked from these two individuals, because these two individuals had their own friend groups at the school. That one spark brought the friend groups together, and it snowballed from there. These events continued, and what we saw as it began to, to grow, what we saw was in a period of two months, we saw 25, 30 kids make a decision for Jesus Christ because of the momentum that was built just by bringing these Christians together. 
It just happens. This is the scripture that Pastor Bill read for us this morning, where Jesus prayed that we would be one. Imagine that. In relationship, be one with the Father and one another so that the world will know. This truly is the greatest witness that we possibly can have. How do we reach the lost? How do we care for those who don't know Jesus and need him to solve the root issues of the problems in their lives? The best, most potent witness that we have is by fostering relationship with one another and being one. This is what he's calling us to do. His desire, it says in Colossians 1, verse 20, his desire is to reconcile all things to himself through Jesus Christ. This is God's mission. And so the more time that I have spent meditating on these things, praying through these things, it has even affected the way that I read scripture. And so now I read scripture through this lens, knowing what is God's big picture? What is his goal? It is all about bringing back together things that were separated and never should have been separated, never should have been set apart. Isn't it interesting if we look way back to Genesis, we go back to the creation story when God created the light and the day and he said it was good. And he created the water and the earth and he said it was good. He created vegetation, he created the animals and he said it was good. And then we get to Genesis 2.18 where he, cre he created man, and he said, it is not good that Adam should be alone. Isn't that interesting? God creates all of the earth, the universe as we know it, and then the crowning achievement, the, the, the person that he was going to give it all to, to steward, he says, this is not good. It's like it, it was, he had a pretty good run. You know, he was going good for like five days, and on that sixth day, just like, oops, whoops, i got to fix this. Was this a mistake? Was this, was this a, what, why, was he surprised by this? Like, oops. It wasn't an oops. Everything that God does is with intention, and it's to emphasize a point to teach us his thought process, his heart, and what he's doing. I think he, wants to he wanted to reveal to us and show us what it's all about. We were not created to be alone. Mankind, this is not just about husband and wife here. I'm talking about big picture. Mankind was not intended to be alone. We are intended to be together, not only with God, because Adam was with God, and God said it was not good. But we're intended to be one with God and our fellow man. So God addressed the situation after he em emphasized the point to us that it's not good that we're alone. He created Eve and he created someone to be together with. And then we get into the next chapter, Genesis 3. We know the fall of man, the entrance of sin into the earth. And now what he had made good, he brought together sin, separated and brought a division into the world. As it says in Isaiah 59 too, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Sin brought a separation into the things that God had called together. And now ever since Genesis 3, since the fall of man, 
the rest of the story, the rest of the Bible, is all about reconciling everything back together, mending what was torn apart from sin. The rest of the story, Genesis 4 through Revelation 20, it's all about calling it back together, bringing unity. This, this is why unity is not just a good idea. This is the heart and the aim of God for all of his people, no exceptions. I love Psalm 133 where it says that where the brothers dwell together in unity, that place God commands a blessing. And so I want to talk a little bit more about this today through Jesus' prayer in John 17. To give a little bit of context here in John 17, this was at the Last Supper. So John chapter 13 all the way to 17 Jesus is sitting with his disciples. They're having that last supper together. And he is walking them through. You'll remember, John chapter 13 is where they sit down and they have, um, uh, Jesus kneels down and he washes their feet. And he gives them this ultimate example of what godly leadership looks like. It's servitude. And so he teaches them about humility. He teaches them about obedience he teaches them here while he's sitting at the table about abide in me. Talks about the vine and the branches. This is all at the Last Supper. He teaches them about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit's going to come and kind of carry on the work with him, with them once he leaves. And then after he prepares his disciples for his departure, we get to John chapter 17. They're still sitting at the table. And as they're sitting there, this now is where he reorients his attention to his disciples, and now he looks up and he begins to pray to the Father in their presence. And this is what we're kind of eavesdropping in on John chapter 17, on Jesus' prayer. So this is a very intimate, very personal prayer. He knows in just a few moments, as soon as they leave this room and they walk to the garden, this is where that band of soldiers is going to come and arrest him and he will depart from his disciples and be crucified. So he knows that these are some of the last words he's going to get to share with his disciples. What is on his heart and the last moments he has with his most beloved close friends. John 17, I'll read uh, 1 through 5 for the moment. After Jesus said this, all these things we just talked about, he looked toward heaven, and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may be glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory, glory I had with you before the world began. See, in this beginning part of this prayer, this prayer kind of has three segments. Jesus prays first for himself in preparation for what's about to happen. Then he moves to pray for his disciples. And then he moves to pray for us here in this room today. All future disciples that would come through his initial disciples but his prayer for himself is interesting here because if you caught that in, in verse 5, his prayer was, 
Father, glorify me in your own presence with the same glory I had with you before the world existed. See, it was a sacrifice and a service that Jesus did simply by leaving his place with the Father to come to earth and do this work of reconciling us to the Father. And now he knows, only moments after finishing this prayer, he will be arrested, he will be tortured, and he will be crucified. Have you ever stopped to consider what it cost, the cost that was involved for Jesus to create a way for us back to the Father, to close this separation, this divide that was here? See, his prayer in John 17 was that we would be one in a specific way. The same way, ready? The same way that the Father and the Son are one. That's the unity of the Trinity. Jesus is praying that we would be so united with the Father that we would be invited into that oneness with the Trinity. But in order for that to happen, it need, a door needed to be open. And this is where the sacrifice was involved. He, the only way to open this door was for a price to be paid. And so Jesus, who was perfectly one with the Father and the Spirit from before the earth was even spoken into existence, perfectly one, and now Jesus knowing this is the only way, that unity of the Trinity would have to be broken open. He offered himself. This is why his question on the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? The Lord turned, Father turned his back on his son. The first and only time ever in all of eternity in that moment, turned his back on his son. And in so doing, opened up a door for us to be one, for our relationship with God to be healed. And his prayer here, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the same, with the glory I had before the world existed. He is trusting God here that when he goes and is crucified, God is going to intervene and restore that unity once again, completely putting himself at the Father's mercy, knowing when I go through this sacrifice, there is nothing else that I can do. I'm trusting the Father to carry me through and reunite me to himself. This is an expression of trust. And then he continues this prayer and he moves on. He begins to pray for his disciples who are with him. He says in verse 9 through 11, Now I'm praying for them, for my disciples. I am not praying for the world, interesting, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Isn't that interesting that in Jesus' prayer, he actually goes to the length of saying, oh, by the way, Father, I'm not praying for the world. Does that mean he had no care or no concern for the world, or what's going on here? Of course he loves the world. What is John 3.16? God so loved the world. But in this prayer, he's not praying for the world because he knows the only hope for the world to know him is that his disciples, his believers, would be one 
and in so doing, carry the true witness and demonstrate the love of God to the world. That's the only way the world will know the love of God when we foster and participate and engage with his love directed towards one another. But he says, I don't, I don't pray for the world. He's praying for the unity of the brethren. It's interesting, though, when we think about this idea of unity. Unity for anything is a, is a very powerful thing. When people can come together and be like-minded, think about the story in Genesis chapter 11. You guys, anybody ever remember the story of the Tower of Babel? All the people came together, right? They came together with one, and it says it, says it here, Genesis 11, 6. When they started to build this tower to heaven, they said, we don't want to... Uh, we don't want to spread out over the earth. We don't want to fill the earth as they were commanded to do by the Lord. They wanted to stay put and make a name for themselves. And they're building this tower. And then God sees it. He says, behold, they are one people. And they all have one language. And this is, the, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. This is what God said. They are not in unity under God. They are in unity against God. And God sees this and said, if they continue in this kind of unity, nothing is impossible. When mankind comes together and is one, nothing is impossible. And God's desire is that we be one, but not without God, not outside of himself. He will not allow that, as we learned with how the Tower of Babel went. He confused their language, instantly divided their unity, and they all spread their own ways. Unity without God, it's a powerful thing, but it does not honor him. Instead, it glorifies man. That is not the, the desire of the Lord, that man be glorified, but that God be glorified through our oneness in him. His prayer goes on, and he says this in John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. He's talking about his disciples. He tells the Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but just protect them. Keep them from the evil one. That they are not of the, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. This is interesting because we'll remember... Shortly before this, while they're sitting at the Last Supper, Jesus tells them that he's about to depart from them. And what did Peter say when Jesus says that he's about to go to a place that they can't go? You remember what, what Peter pipe, piped up? <laughs> he, says, <laughs> he says, Lord, why can't I follow you? I'm, I'm ready to die for you. I want to go with you where you are. And Jesus says here, he just tells the Father, he's praying this in front of them. And he says, Father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. I don't want them to go where I'm going right now. As a matter of fact, I'm sending them, I'm commissioning them into the world. Peter's fighting against the grain. He wants to go with Jesus wherever he is. And Jesus is like, no, you go here. I need you here. I'm sending you here. I'm going. This is the work that only I can do, but you have work yet to be done. And the truth is, this kind of sentiment is very common, a very common emotion amongst many disciples, many followers of Christ. When we get a glimpse of him and we have a relationship with him, sometimes we just come to the point where we say, I just want Jesus, nothing, nothing and no one else. 
Just want to be where he is and get rid of everything else. But the truth is we have a work to do. As long as we are still breathing, there is a work left to be done on this earth. And following Jesus now, loving Jesus, looks like engaging with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Maintaining a relationship with him looks like maintaining a relationship with the community that he has planted me into, that he has, we'll put it this way, sent me into. The place that we live, the place that we work, the place that we go for entertainment, this is where we have been sent to, and we need to live with this mission-minded. I'm here with purpose. And so when we do this, we come together knowing, okay, this is what the Father wants for me, and so I will honor what he wants, and I will do what he's asked me to do and love my fellow man. His desire is not that we would be separate, but together, together. And this is interesting because no matter where we're starting from, if our pursuit is the same thing, we have the same ending place, the same finish line. If our aim for all believers is Jesus Christ, he is the one that we are going to come to. Has anybody ever seen the movie uh, Robin Hood? Especially the, the classic cartoon, right? You, you remember the, remember the, the duel, the archery duel, where you've got the, the Robin Hood and then the, the arch enemy here, and they're shooting at the bullseyes, and his enemy goes and he aims at the bullseye, and he shoots it dead center, and he thinks he's got it won. And then Robin Hood comes up, and he takes his bow and shoots and splices right down that arrow, and he hits dead center over the other, the other target, right? This here is a picture, I think, of what God has called us to. These people have nothing to do with each other. They actually are, are working against one another, but they're shooting towards the same target. And so at a particular point, their arrows come close together, and actually one splices the other. Sometimes we come from different perspectives, different mindset, different background, different age group, wherever we're, our starting place is, but Jesus Christ is what has called us together. That is the commonality that we are all pursuing. And so no matter what perspective you're coming from, if you're going towards Jesus like he has called us, then I am going to find myself getting closer and closer to my fellow man. There's no way around it. If we, he is the one that we are aiming for and we're actually moving in that direction, you will find yourself closer to your fellow man. And the truth is, you can only come so close until our comfort zone, our little bubble, can sometimes get infringed upon. It starts to get a little uncomfortable. But Jesus still calls us one step closer and he's still calling that person that much closer at what, what is our breaking point? How, how much are we willing to keep following after Christ and sacrificing ourselves, walking in humility, honoring one another above our own selves so that I can keep getting closer to the Lord? This is what he's called us to. And this is why, too, the bulk of the New Testament is really all about how do we live together? We understand our call, but how do we do this thing? Because it's really frustrating. And it's really hard. How do we do this? You know, in the New Testament alone, there are 100 one another statements. 
Love one another. Bear with one another. Honor one another. Encourage one another. Serve one another. The New Testament is all about how we live together in unity in the name of Jesus Christ and bring honor to him with all that we do. You know, even with, um, in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, he's talking about anger, but he talks about if you approach somebody and you get your cheek slapped, what do you say to do? Turn the other cheek. Don't forget what this really meant, though. Remember how uh, in, in one of the, gospel, in one of the uh, letters here, the epistles, the encouragement is to um, greet the brothers with a holy kiss? Well, this is, how, this is how they would greet. This was a, we shake hands, and these times they would come and they would kiss one another like this. And so turn the other cheek meant you went and you approached him and you were disrespected. Turn the other cheek. Go and initiate a reconciliation in that relationship. Come and try to greet. Bring a healing, bring a mending to that relationship. The call is always to take the initiative to bring back together and reconcile. I just want to highlight a couple quick passages if you want to jot these down. Matthew 5.23. In Matthew 5.23, Jesus is talking about worship. And he says here, If you are bringing your gift to the altar, and while you're there, remember that someone has something against you, stop what you're doing. Stop your worshiping. Put your gift down. Hit the pause button. And now worship will look like this. Go and seek out that brother or sister, make amends, work towards healing, and then come and finish your act. This is how we worship the Lord now, by seeking out and reconciling. Now, conversely, in Matthew 18, this is a situation, Matthew 18, 15, where it says, if someone has sinned against you, if someone has offended you. So Matthew 5 says, if you offended someone, or they think you did, because a lot of times that happens by misunderstandings. If someone is offended by you, initiate, go to them, and reconcile. Matthew 18 is different now because it says, if you were offended by someone, so are they supposed to come to you then? No, no. He says, go to them and make amends and work through it. No matter if the offense was caused by you or done to you, it doesn't matter. The instruction is, be the one to initiate reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 teaches us about how we are ministers of reconciliation. As a follower of Jesus Christ, this is our work on this earth, to bring things back together the way they were created to be. And if the people of God can't be one back together the way we were created to be, what hope is there for the world? It starts here at home. It starts here in our hearts. Be the initiator of reconciliation. Christ has reconciled us, and so now we come and we minister. We serve reconciliation to the world wherever we go, seeking to heal and mend broken and stressed relationships. Working to the end of the, end of the prayer here, in verse 20 through 21, Jesus goes on. This is where he begins to pray for the future disciples. He prays, I don't ask... For these only, for his disciples he's sitting with at the table, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, that's us, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that 
the world may believe that you have sent me. Truly the greatest witness that we have to the lost is a community centered on Christ, living in love as one people. You know, he didn't pray for the world here, but we know that he cared about them. He prayed for his people that we would be one and be able now to have the most potent witness, most effective witness to the lost to come to know him. Sometimes we can confuse our mission a little bit. We know the Great Commission in Matthew 28 where Jesus, right before he departs and ascends to heaven, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations, starting in your hometown and then grow, going outward. In your going, make disciples. We know that's our mission. Oftentimes what will happen is we say, okay, that's what I'm trying to do. And then we, we, we make a beeline and say, okay, I need to go tell people about Jesus. And we certainly do. That is so important that we are expressive and sharing this on a regular basis. But we have to remember what is the strongest way to do this? Most effective way to we don't want to just go and 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 do this in without using tact, without using uh, strategy, and without using the way that Jesus has given us. He's given us unity. His prayer was yes that we would be one, so that the world will know. A lot of times we just jump to that the world will know, and we skip over that oneness part. And in so doing, we lose our most potent witness. The thing that would really grab attention of the world because it's something that they cannot have outside of Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can bring the kind of love and healing that the world really wants and needs and often doesn't know it. We can't skip around the thing that he's called us to in order to reach the world. It has to be, has to be through him. There's such power in unity. You may have heard uh, this, this story. It was shared by uh, Zig Ziglar. It was a story that he used to share. Uh, and it was about a county fair. So I don't know if anybody ever been to an old, old southern like, county fair. And they used to have, they would, they would do these animal pulls. You'd have either ox teams of oxen or horses. And they would pull different amounts of weight. And it was always a contest to see who, which farmer could bring the strongest oxen or horses and pull the most weight, and then they'd get the, get the prize. Well, as the story goes, there are uh, Belgian horses. Everybody, anyone ever seen a Belgian horse? Similar to like a Clydesdale, like just monstrous beasts. So these, these animals are so strong that when you yoke them up to a harness, they can pull, an average Belgian horse can pull 8,000 pounds on its, on its own. So four tons it can pull. But now if you take that and you yoke it together in a pair, just a random pair, just get another horse, pull it together, and now they're pulling, you would think that if they can pull 8,000 pounds, well, they'll pull 16,000 pounds. But that's not the case. When you put two uh, of these horses together, they can pull 24,000 pounds. The power of synergy coming together and the strength of, of, the, the, of the whole, it's, it's exponential. And so now, instead of pulling 16, they actually pulled 24,000. But now, this only takes us halfway. Because this is just taking two random horses, putting them in the same yoke. They don't know each other. They're just horses raised on separate farms, put into yokes. But now, if you take what they call a matched pair, these are two horses that were bred together, 
that were raised together on the same farm. They know one another. There's relationship there. If you take this matched pair and yoke them up together, what they can pull is 32,000 pounds. The power of not just being together, but being united together. It's exponential. When we pray for the world, when we pray for our loved ones, we want them to know Jesus. Lord, may they know you. May they place their faith in you. What is the strongest way to reach our loved ones? To love one another and live in this kind of unity. You can't find that in this world. It's only in Jesus Christ. There's no way around it. This is what he's called us to live towards. This kind of unity. When we live in that, we reflect the character and nature of God to this world. Think about that. God himself has existed in community since the beginning of time. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He is community. We reflect his nature by being one like that. And we know from his prayer, our unity makes the world know that Jesus sent, was sent by God. It shows the world what Jesus' love looks like. And it gives glory to the Father because this is his desire. It's interesting how this prayer closes. In John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. So see, Peter, in the right time, Peter, you can come with me. I desire that they may be with me where I am to see my glory. A reconciliation of all things in the right time, in the right order, and when our mission has been completed. This is our greatest call in this world, that we would serve him by serving our fellow man. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much for the love that you have demonstrated to us and even for the amount of trust that you have placed within us to follow you and to serve you, Lord to give us the kind of freedom that you have given us and then give us instructions to follow and your spirit to give us the ability to follow. It blows my mind to think, Lord, about how much trust that you've given us. And Lord, we just, we, we give it back to you. We look to you, Lord, and we say, God, be glorified in us. I pray that you give us the strength, Father, to lay down our pride to take up divine humility just the way you taught us, Jesus. Even though being God, you didn't feel like you had to prove that to anybody, but you carried your own cross up to the hill in service and sacrifice for us. Thank you, Jesus. Would you give us the strength to live that same way, to honor one another above ourselves, to lower ourselves and be fulfilled by seeing others lifted up, knowing that that is our greatest call. We love you so much, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon that Ed Pichette, the Executive Director of Together Rhode Island, offered to Rockland Community Church. 
Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Situate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Situate Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series through the Gospel of Matthew. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.